And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, a man who I've seen progress from over the years. Covers the Tigers for the Athletic and so on and so forth. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? That's a, that's a ringing endorsement. You know, I <laughs> take a lot of pride in those words, for sure. Well, uh, it's the so on and so forth week for the Tigers. Uh, kind of started out with Chris Illich going ahead and making uh, making a statement. Uh, Cody, tell me, when's the last time? Because this doesn't happen very often. When's the last time we had heard from Chris? You would know better than I. Yeah, at least the last time he talked publicly in terms of the Tigers, I, I believe, was um, spring training when he appeared in Lakeland, and you know we went through the whole thing. Chris talking about the the vote on the CBA and the competitive balance tax. I don't believe he has spoke, um, certainly not about the Tigers since then. So yeah, so in case people missed it, it's the hiring press conference for the Detroit Red Wings hiring their new head coach Derek Lalone I believe is the correct pronunciation of that name and uh somebody I believe it was Wojo of the news asked about the Tigers because again you don't really get to talk to Chris all that often uh and he gave what can conservatively be called a less than inspiring response uh to paraphrase you know tough start i'm pleased with the progress some young guys playing so on and so forth was like literally the end of that statement and it kind of set tiger's twitter ablaze and we're still getting references to it you know, late in the week, uh, doesn't really help when the team goes, has a losing week, I should say, uninspiring play for a lot of it. I, I I guess I, we got to give the people what they want, Cody. So I got to give my take on this and it's not, it's like the same, but different from what we're reading on Twitter. Obviously it's not really what I like to hear, what I like to read. But I would kind of say that I'm a step short of outrage. Um, And maybe that's probably the bigger question as I kind of self-analyze, or the bigger concern, I should say, as I self-analyze here. Because I, I haven't really come to think of Chris as sort of a galvanizing figure, as somebody who is going to go out into the public and... you know, criticize or challenge uh, the people that work for him. And outside of seeing him in the owner's box for Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit, haven't really seen him at all. And uh, it was an eye roll for me. It was an eye roll for me. And maybe that's the issue. Maybe Maybe it isn't the words per se is that like it's part of this complete picture that is just unsatisfactory for for years now. And I was trying to think, I was like, you know, what, what, as a fan, what do you want in an owner? In some ways, it's what you want in a GM and a coach. You want a good leader. 
You want someone with the ability to identify talent, hire that talent, let that talent flourish. Uh, and, and to that effect, you know, we've been on this podcast before, giving him credit for his role in bringing AJ Hinch to Detroit, a move that, uh, despite how things are going right now, is still universally received as an excellent move and maybe on paper the best move of his tenure uh in terms of hiring that uh, as heading the tigers and you know you want your owner to spend money on the team that's been a slow rolling process but behind the scenes infrastructure wise i'm under the impression you know ken rosenthal and his story last week talked about it resources are not a problem so you know that's that's good but i the leadership thing it just i i criticized al last week for his words to ken about leadership and to me, this was not, it didn't really, it was not a leadership phrase. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I really wanted out of the guy who's in charge of my favorite baseball team. And it came across as, it was like robotic, but it was also sheepish. It, it, it was kind of weird to me. I, I just didn't. It was like he was unprepared, but why you should be prepared because you don't speak. I mean, last year, uh, what was it Hamtramck? He was asked about the Tigers at at a at a ceremony there. Like you got to know when you don't talk to the media, when you are available, these things can come up. So he he seemed unprepared. He seemed like he didn't really know what he was talking about or what he wanted to say, which is a problem in and of itself. Maybe the PR team failed there. Um, procedurally, I'm curious why it kind of had to be this way. So you have a couple options when you know you're going to get a question about a sports team that you run, especially when you're at an event that does not directly relate to it. You can A, just refuse to answer the question. You can B, the PR team could just say, like, look, you guys want to talk Tigers? Don't ask during, if you could please, don't ask during the press conference for the Red Wings head coach. Let's make it about him. We want to make it about him. Chris will be available, like, to the side afterward. That seems like something that's perfectly reasonable. Um, from a media, uh, excuse me, from a media procedural perspective, Cody, is that something that, is common. I've been out of the game a little bit. Is that something that could happen? Just like the theory of that. Is that is that a thing? Yeah, I mean, in theory, there would there would be nothing. In theory, there would be nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, that's not really common. I think, especially for someone such as Chris, who doesn't speak publicly a lot. Um, I think Chris had a few other options. And and for the record, I'm not going to pine on this a whole lot. I'm I'm working on a lot of stuff regarding the the Illich family and just kind of in, in the interest of journalistic integrity. Like, I don't think this is the time to be, you know, spouting my, my opinions. Um, but you know, I think the people wanted an answer that doesn't sugarcoat as much. Obviously there has not been progress under the traditional definition from the Tigers this year. Um, whether it was some off to the side thing or not, he was also asked a question about district Detroit. I believe the question in which he referenced the Tigers was, uh, involved, it was kind of a broad question about two struggling rebuilds that are around, you know, the same point in 
in their timeline. Um, I think, you know, a good answer, if, if he didn't want to give perhaps a more honest answer, would have been, you know, today we're here to, to celebrate the hiring of Derek Lone, and there'll be per- plenty of time to talk about the Tigers later in the summer. Um, I think there were several ways around it, and, and it probably could have uh, been handled better and thus gotten a, a better response from the public, for sure. Yeah, and the, the last thing that uh, as I was jotting down points, like, what do you want in an owner? Uh, you want someone who, like, cares and, and, and like, feels, like, when, when things go poorly, you know? And I don't know the man, never talked to the man, never been around the man. I'm not going to speak to that specifically. I'm just going to say the way of which he goes about his business doesn't lend itself to that, in my opinion. Not to say he doesn't. I'm just saying, PR-wise, it, do- it just doesn't come across as somebody who's living and dying by it you know and there were ways to say like progress you know we'll get into a couple there were ways to say like progress it's like you know we've had some bad injury luck but you know guys like riley green coming up like that's you know good for the future of the franchise blah 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 it it kind of came across as like you ever, you know, you ever, you guys ever been at work and someone asks you a question about something you don't really know what you're talking about and you just kind of speak vaguely and it's like, well, you know, the theory of it, you know, yeah, that could work, you know, it's kind of like that in my opinion. Uh, not good, not something I liked, not as outraged by it, by the next thing that was off the field news this week for the Tigers. And this was literally off the field because he's not on the field. He's nowhere to be found near the field. That is Eduardo Rodriguez. We got an official statement of sorts. Well, not of sorts, but we got an official statement that really told us nothing because they know nothing. It seems like he's just MIA or at least update-wise he's MIA. The Tigers know where he is. He's down in Florida, I believe, with his family. Uh, to be honest, Cody, I'm a little more outraged by that than the Chris Illich comments because... You know, I hope Eduardo is mentally well. You know, if it's a mental health thing, I hope he's mentally well. I hope his family, health-wise, is good. I hope relationship-wise, everything's good. But there comes a point in time where, like, you gotta show up to work. You gotta, like, you signed a contract to take on a certain duty, and that was be the ace for the Detroit Tigers, and there's a certain accountability that comes with that, and at the very least, I think you ought to be in communication with your employer. Like, <laughs> that, like that. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but you ought to be in communication with your employer, even if you just are not right to come show up to work, and, you know, it's a stressful thing to be a professional baseball player, and he is you know, on leave or whatever, so it's not like he's getting paid, I understand that, but, you know, I just feel like the adult mature thing to do is to be in contact, have some communication, uh, it, it doesn't really feel like that's happening, and it's left the Tigers with their tail between their legs when anyone says, like, what's up with Eduardo, you know, like, if there's not many walks of life where you could get away with this, there's just not, and so I just I just kind of think this is, I don't know, is it lack of maturity? Is it lack of uh, accountability? I don't, I don't know. But it's not good. 
It's not good. And it's and I'm and you tell the tone of my voice, I'm more outraged by someone literally just like going you know, no showing their job of which you really only gotta work you know, eight months a year, nine months a year, whatever it is. That's all that's more time off than I get. I get ten days. Alright? So like it I don't know. I, I just feel like that's not asking too much to just just be in communication. If you got some personal stuff going on, it seems like the Tigers are very understanding. Just be in communication. That's it. That's all I, that's all I think you ought to do at the bare minimum. Where am I off? This is another one where it's like where where do you even begin? How do you how do you talk about this? And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm frustrated. If you recall a couple weeks ago, we were kind of critical of the Tigers for how they handled this and their messaging and the fact it was kind of making Eduardo look bad. Well, I think through this latest update, which is that Eduardo has had no communication with the team. They don't know what's going on. They don't know if or when to expect him back. I think we can kind of glean that maybe they never really cared if he looked bad. Now, they've been professional. They haven't trashed him. Obviously, he's going through a difficult time in his personal life. We know almost nothing about it other than that it's marital-related. Um, so again, I hope he's okay. Who knows exactly what he's dealing with? I hope he's okay from a physical and mental standpoint. Um, I don't know. Maybe this just because I was raised by you know uh, uh, people in West Texas. But yeah, I kind of believe he should like show up to work, and if you can't, you should at least be in contact with your employer. But only inside information I can really provide is that. Yeah, if we're being honest, I think um, people on the Tiger side are angered by. Um, not just the fact that he's been kind of out of action for several weeks, but that they're literally not hearing from him. There have been attempts to communicate with Eduardo and it has not, uh, come to fruition. And for me, you know, for the media, even for the team and, and then thus for the public, it's so tough to deal with because no one's given us any information and the Tigers probably provided all they could. Um, I texted Eduardo's agent for like the second time earlier this week and I was I, I tried to be very delicate and very sensitive and was like, hey, if Eduardo is in a good enough place, would you all consider releasing any sort of statement? Uh, because this has just been a difficult thing to report on fairly and, and basically said I think a little information or at least hearing from Eduardo, maybe hearing if he plans to return at all this season would be beneficial for the overall, you know, so we can write about it so the public can know, so that the Tigers don't have to um, kind of make clear that Eduardo's gone AWOL, but still trying to be professional and respectful. It's a, it's a messy situation. It's really, really weird. And I think if Eduardo were playing on even back in the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers or a contending team, this would be a way bigger story and a lot more people would be uh, pressing it and banging down the doors. And again, it's how do you balance respecting his privacy, his personal life, maybe even his, his mental health or whatever, versus like, what in the world is going on with this guy who the Tigers gave a five-year, $77 million contract to? Um, it, it does not seem like it's a good look. I think the longer this goes on, the more we're beginning to glean that um, it's not a positive situation between Eduardo and the team right now. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the team, I kind of think, uh, I kind of think, what do the players think? You know, like, what are, you know, if you were to get them, 
even off just off the record one on one. You know what I mean? Like how how do they feel? They're they're grinding yeah, out there every I, day. I, like I haven't had really any players. Uh, haven't talked to them about that. Some of them might know more about the exact circumstances, but I bet there are some other dudes on that team dealing with some personal issues, and maybe they would like to just step away. But that's not really it's not really how it's supposed to work when you're in the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, especially when you sign a contract of which, when you sign it, the manager tells you you're you got the ball on opening day. You know, this is your staff. Uh, it's in a lot of ways, it's inexcusable to just not have any communication. Like that, that's the biggest thing. That's what I'm going to really harp right, on. Right. Like, if 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 there is a, some legitimate reason why Eduardo cannot perform his duties as a pitcher. Um, Number one, I wish we knew at least a little more about it so that we could talk about it more fairly. Um, and if, if that's not possible because it's just too private or too sensitive, at least be in communication with your team. You know, don't have, if your team, even though AJ was very professional, very respectful in which he said this, when your manager comes out and says there's been no communication, that's just weird. That's just not good. Yeah, and in a lot of ways... Uh... You know, there's <laughs> if, if AJ had a what could go wrong bingo card, I mean, this would have been the spot you never thought that you would check is like ace, MIA, no communication. <laughs> like what what else can go wrong? You got starting left fielder with two sore Achilles, you know, and and it's just it, it, it's a litany of things. And one of as a dog scratches the door. One of those circumstances where you just kind of can't help but just roll your eyes and be like, of course, of course. But start out, you know, it's a holiday weekend, Cody. We just started out with a couple negative stories here. Let's get some positivity. Let's let's get some positivity going. <laughs> well, oh, t- we can try. We can try. We talking about Saturday. We talking about Riley I mean, Green. Yeah, like, that's let's, that's let's about all I got. Thing. Let's like it's, it's a good one though. It, he's. He's a guy that, like, you know, when he's up to the plate or he's on deck, you don't go to the fridge to get another beverage. You don't go to the bathroom because you, you got to sit down and watch every at-bat because it's just so much fun to watch his approach. I mean, it's he's one of those guys that you kind of see, like, his in-between pitch mechanisms, and you can actually kind of see the gears turning, and, and then there's results. There's results with it, and he's just a lot of fun. Uh I don't know if you paid much attention to the Peacock broadcast uh, while you were in the uh, in the press box. I didn't. I didn't hear very good reviews on it, uh, but I didn't actually tune in. Yeah, myself. I guess I could probably just give like a brief scouting report on that. Eh. I looked up at one point and Craig Monroe was yes. riding the carousel in the concourse, and I was like, okay, why is anyone taking this seriously? Well, they really, really should have just gone straight with the no broadcasters thing instead of like interrupting that with like interviews um but they did do a couple on field stuff so aj hitch on the headset as the royals hit a home run in the fourth inning uh (laughs) on what had to be i don't even know like the third or fourth it wasn't very long into the inning and you know give aj some credit he just kind of looked up at it Went back to his notes, kind of kept talking. They asked him, what did you see on that pitch? He's like, oh, you know, let." <laughs> he's like, Tarek left it up or, you know, whatever, whatever he said. He 
he handled that great. So I got to give him credit for that because, uh, you know, that's 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 not typical, you know. Um, and Riley was really good when they were interviewing him in center field. Uh, Tarek had the pickoff attempt, and he's like, "Oh yeah, he's out, he's out." And you know, there's a there's a ball that's just a little low that gets called the ball. A pitch that's a little low gets called the ball, and you hear Riley go, "Oh come on, that's a strike." You know, but but also you, you know, talk, like talking talking to Simo, and I forget the guy who would would be like the host, I guess, of of that conversation, and that was a lot of fun. But the the, the big thing is. Riley Green's a lot of fun, and I know he was, you know, safe, and then he was out. But that slide in the second base was a lot of fun when he was caught stealing. Um, and in the field, he's smooth. At the plate, he's a joy to watch. Uh, he had the walk-off home run. That's gonna be probably the number one moment of the season when we look back at like top plays, top moments of the 2022 season. And one of the more fun moments in a while. And one of the few positive things we can hang on to this week, Cody. So they they have a two-run deficit going into the ninth. And three pitches later, the game's over, essentially. Uh, take me through you watching that, thinking it's like, because that's what I was thinking. All right, here's another Tigers loss where the offense doesn't really do a whole lot. Pitching gets spotty, but then recovers, and it's too late. You know, sign, seal, delivered, rinse, wash, repeat. Uh, but then it wasn't, and it was a, you know, it was a great moment for the Tigers on Saturday night. Yeah, I definitely, I was actually went um, down into the stands to um, talk with a couple buddies around probably the fifth, sixth inning of that game, and, and the Tigers are losing, and one of them says, they're going to win this game. And I said, no, they're not. <laughs> Last year's team might have won this game. This year's this year's team doesn't hit. They don't come back. They're not going to win. And sure enough, ninth rolls around. I'm thinking, yeah, they, they haven't scored in a while. And then Reyes, boom, hits a rope. And, and then Riley Green, I had actually the at-bat before. I was like, I think there were two runners on. I was like, this would be one of those moments yeah. where Riley gets his first home run. Because I'm telling you, he just does special things at special times. He has that weird knack for it man um he didn't do it that at bat i guess that was was that the one he got rung up on yeah, the near garrett which which was awesome um <laughs> yeah it was borderline it was borderline it was a ball but it was i didn't think it was an egregious call yeah. uh but that yeah man his walk off like i knew that thing was gone off the bat it was definitely cool to experience from the stands and yeah i don't know how to say it but not surprised this is just how stuff works with riley green i think we're going to continue to see it he's just kind of got that star quality to him where it's like of course his first home run is a walk off of course it's 432 feet um really cool moment that and and miggy's 3000th uh probably going to end up being your two biggest moments of the season which given how this season has gone uh, kind of crazy. You might actually have two pretty cool moments like that to, to <laughs> hang your hat on. You know, it's funny. They it it, it appears he's lead off indefinitely. Uh, that 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 seems that. That's, <laughs> well, we got to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I we we're on record here as saying that you know this guy is like a perfect two hole hitter. But I will say this. I will say, uh, Aaron Judge bats lead off. A decent bit for the Yankees. So, you know, having your best hitter 
bad leadoff is something that a smart organization does. So maybe maybe there's something to it. I would love a world where you get a speedy guy that can get on base in front of uh, in front of Riley, which I guess that kind of happens with the whole second leadoff thing with Victor Reyes in the nine hole. Uh, if Akil Badu, a name we haven't talked about in a while, but he is he is on a tear right now in Toledo. What that means, I don't know. But if he gets called up and he can get on base at a good clip, get him in front of Riley, I think that'd be great, whether that's nine-hole, leadoff spot, whatever. Uh, but I w- probably the best thing about batting Riley leadoff is his patience, and that seems to to me to be something that could benefit the lineup as not as much as his hitting, but it could be one of the hidden benefits of putting him at the top because he is going to make a pitcher throw him some pitches. Yeah, I mean, Riley also obviously has a very good approach and plan at the plate. He's probably not um, a huge walk guy long-term, like probably around league average. I mean, his strikeout rate's a little high because he can swing and miss. Uh, it's not because he has a poor plate approach and he knows the zone and he can work counts. I think he has the slugging ability that makes him more of a number two guy long term. But, you know, AJ on Saturday had basically said, I hope we can hit Riley leadoff for the next six years or however long he's here. And I wondered if that had almost been taken. I mean, AJ did say that verbatim, but I wonder if it was kind of lacking context because he went on to explain, you know, if that's kind of if we have a better lineup and we have other run producers behind him and blah, blah, blah. And, and so the next day I followed up and I was like, were you serious or was that just a general way of saying like he's going to be a top half of the order hitter, you know, throughout his career? And AJ went on to be kind of like, I mean, no, I think he pointed to George Springer, who was the Astros primary leadoff guy from 2016 to 2019 under AJ and who generally hit leadoff and Jose Altuve hit second. And you could argue flipping those guys makes more kind of traditional since George Springer never reached 100 RBI, but obviously uh, that Astros team really had no problem producing runs. Um, So that leads into an interesting discussion. I don't think we can project whether Riley Green should be hitting leadoff five years from now unless we know what the rest of that order looks like. If you have another guy who's high OBP with perhaps less slugging power than Riley, like I, I, you know, I think that guy should probably be your leadoff. Um, but AJ brings up a good point, changes that dynamic of that first hit bat of the game. I do think it makes sense for this team right now because AJ's talking about, look, you get him that extra at bat, which happened Saturday and the Tigers win the game because the lineup rolls around, Riley gets that extra at bat. You want Riley getting those at bats. He's your best hitter right now. You know, why not? It's not like you have a lot of other dudes who are sitting the ta- setting the table or driving him in. Um, so AJ gave a, gave a pretty thorough explanation, pointed to some other examples, um, Alfonso Soriano with the Yankees back in the day. Um, and then when he kind of, when he got done talking, I was like, okay, I just, I just want to make sure, like, I'm going to make fun of you when you eventually hit him two or four and you're like, <laughs> oh, we decided we want him to drive in more guys. Cause I feel like that's going to happen, you know? <laughs> oh, like, it'd be one of those things where hopefully, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, uh another highlight. So this isn't specific to the Peacock broadcast, but it happened on Sunday. Uh, Riley gets his hit on Sunday, left field, left fielder, kind of bobbles it a little bit. Riley takes a big turn, but he doesn't go for second base. And they pan to Riley's dad, who has this uh, 
sort of like a condensed version of John Travolta and Pulp Fiction, kind of looking around. He had his hand up a little bit, like, why are you not on second, Riley? <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've written about written about his 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 family and and how much work his dad, him and Riley, put together into creating just a, an awesome young baseball player. Still only twenty one, as uh, as AJ pointed out when he had the headset on. So that was pretty funny. And then Riley also said, they asked him, was like, is your dad your harshest critic? And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a matter if it's one mile an hour or a thousand miles an hour, I'm expected to hit it. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes I have to tell my dad, you know, sometimes it get, the pitcher just makes a really good pitch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So, you know, seemingly uh, really good maturity for a 21-year-old and obviously an absolute pleasure to watch. Uh, really glad that he's healthy and, and performing so well. Definitely one of the shining lights of the team this year. Yeah. If you haven't already, wrote a, a little feature this week. Riley and really three other guys from Haggerty High School, all different ages, or at least three to four different ages. They all still work out together um, at their high school in the offseason. I thought that was a little neat because a lot of times when these guys become pros you go you get your private hitting instructor you go you know you buy some property somewhere else and work out there uh these guys just go back to their old high school with their old high school coach and kind of ramp up for the season um ran kind of during a holiday weekend so not that many people read it if you could go give it a click you know be cool be appreciated yes please go i mean the subscription deal of all subscription deals is still available on the athletic so i highly encourage everybody to go Click on all of Cody's stories and subscribe to The Athletic. In other positivity, a guy that was struggling to the point that was hard to watch, and fortunately there's a couple candidates for that sentence right there, but has turned it around, Eric Haas. Eric Haas has entered the chat uh, since June, well, all the stats are going to say since June 1, but really it's June 2nd because that's, you didn't play on June 1. But since June 2nd, 286, three home runs. Gotten DH job a couple times. Had a nice little road trip. You know, we're not in, it's not a large sample size, not a small one either. Uh, he's one of the few guys right now who's showing capability of pop, which is what we expected coming into the year. But now we're starting to see it a little bit uh he had the it's kind of like an inverse now let's just say this continues it's gonna be like an inverse of of last year where he starts starts out hot and like really cools down and it kind of you know we don't believe in momentum but it really started out basically the same way in terms of not hitting the ball very well and Haas is hot right now Haas is hot is that is, is it real Cody is it is is it real ish what to make of it um, I'm going to give like an AJ answer. Well, yeah, it's real. It's <laughs> happening. It counts. These are real games. Now, is it, you know, I don't, I like, I think Eric Haas is what he is. I think he struggled for the last two months of last season, almost the first three months of this year. Like, I think that's, uh, that's kind of the player he is. I, you know, he's going to have a little power surge every now and then because the dude's got a lot of pop in his bat. It was good to see AJ kind of follow through on his promise to play him a little more. He was able to do that in part because Haas was hitting the ball well. Uh, but I think, you know, he also got some favorable matchups, faced a couple different left-handers, 
got in some games where he was in a position to succeed, and that ultimately has worked out well. Definitely good to see him pick up the back, um, hit a little bit, because you're right. It was getting really tough to watch. It was getting to the point, like, how can you how can you justify, you know, you're just not getting anything out of him. Um, finally, he gets hot, so um, good to see. Well-deserved Farrakh Haas. Is it going to super continue? I mean, maybe for, like, a limited amount of time, I would be surprised if he's, like, on a tear the, the rest of the year, but... Maybe like last summer, you know, maybe he continues to hit the ball pretty well, gets a few more homers here in July. That would not surprise me. Well, he's he's still very much in a tryout, right? Uh, what's what's his game? Which why are guys still in tryouts? And twi- like, can we be done with tryouts at some point? You your know, your overall sentiment is correct, but I would say there will always be, no matter the team, like you'll have certain guys essentially on tryout for certain roles over the course of the season even if even the Yankees got guys on tryouts right now but like yeah no but, no no here's a fun scenario here's a fun scenario I don't know if Jake Rogers is going to be back in actual major league games this year but it sounds like there's a possibility if he is are you and you say you have to DFA Eric Haas or Tucker Barnhart who you choosing I think Tucker does a lot of subtle things well behind the plate, but he's on a deal that's going to expire, and I don't think, unfortunately, he's meriting an extension right now. Now, I guess if Jake comes up, it's probably going to be real late season. I guess rosters could expand to 28, and you just carry three catchers, and you don't worry about it. So that's probably the actual answer to the question. But, like, since this is a podcast, and we just sometimes do hypothetical stuff, you had to pick two out of the three, you know, who are you picking? I don't know. Granted, like, if you keep Haas, you continue to have him under team control. Interesting debate right there. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, like, I, I would want to know the full scope of Roger's health and his progress, which obviously the Tigers would when they were making this decision. If, if, if I'm of the mindset that I'm going to try to get Rodgers behind the plate and a lot of at-bats... And I know this going into the trade deadline. Could you toss? Could you? Could you? Could you get a single A guy for Tucker? Could you get? I mean, there's. I don't know. Maybe you could get Nick Quintana yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I might, I might try to go that route with a team that's not happy with their catch, catching situation or whatever. Uh, if I had that knowledge just in the back of my head, but they, they, the team's already carried three catchers this year, so in theory. That doesn't, you know, what's to say, what's to prevent them from doing it again? But the whole expiring contract thing, I'm not in a rush. Obviously, he doesn't really warrant an extension. It's, you're right, I do like him behind the plate. But, and he does, he does get bigger hits than I think people recognize. Uh, But, you know, we're not going to the bank for Tucker Barnard. We're not going to the bank for Jamer Candelario. We're not going to the bank for, you know, a lot of guys on this roster. You know, thank God he's not Jonathan Scope. You know, thank God he's not Robbie Grossman. The Scope thing is, uh, is Cody Clemens playing himself into some more playing time? I don't know that there's, there's a, AJ has like a, a knack for sort of letting guys, appropriately letting guys sort of ride their hot streaks and Cody's got a couple home runs here recently he's versatile in the field I know scope is too but 
Scope's defense, it's it's great, but where's he getting the team right now? I don't, you know what I mean. You know, you know who this team's leader in uh, Fangraphs wins above replacement is? It's Jonathan Scope, which is kind of hilarious. Ooh, Jonathan Scope's been abysmal at the plate, but he's been so good on defense that he's worth a whopping zero point eight <laughs> F war. And the rest of your team is so bad that no one has eclipsed that mark. <laughs> oh, it's not man. good. Riley Green's gonna gonna be there real quick. Yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> right. Uh, I'm gonna fact check myself on that. I looked at that this morning, and it still just doesn't well, seem. While you're looking at that, let me. Like, that, in a way, that tells you just how good Jonathan Scope's been at second base, but, like, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, as uninspiring at the plate as uh, as anybody on the team. Zero point. <laughs> Jonathan Scope is hitting 191 with a 224 on base percentage, and he leads the team with 0.8 F4. Number two is Riley Green at 0.6. He has played 13 major league games. <laughs> what are we doing? It's almost impressive. I don't even know how you do that. Uh, <laughs> That's, yeah. But, you know you know what? Speaking of impressive, look, we, we, got a, we, got, we got a thing that we do here. It's called fairness, all right? We, we be fair. We, if we say something about a guy and that turns out not to be a thing anymore, we recognize, all right? The Willie Castro in the outfield numbers can't be ignored. Can't be ignored. He's got three defensive runs saved uh, and five assists out there. And he does. I've seen him cut off some balls and get the ball in quick in order to, you know, prevent the extra base. Uh, There are moments out there where I like the way he looks. I mean, he looks better right now. Maybe it's just recency bias. Is this going to be a hot take? I don't know. A little more comfortable looking out in the outfield than the last time I watched Akil Badu patrol. Wow. Um, you're not wrong, you know. I mean, he's he's Willie Mays. He's out here <laughs> making diving catches and throwing people out, and he's worth three. I mean, what a great... Look, obviously, I don't think Willie's a great outfielder. Let me tell you, he has looked better. I agree with your Akil Badu take. I don't know that that means he's like a better outfielder, but he was a little more comfortable in a small sample size this year. Suddenly it's Willie. Um, and let me tell you, I can tolerate Willie in right field. Okay. It's not center. It's different than that. If he's hitting well and you want him in the lineup, I will tolerate Willie playing right field. And he has played it pretty well, especially this past weekend. Uh, so as long as we don't try to tell ourselves that he's a center fielder, <laughs> good job, Willie. I accept it, and uh, you're right. You're right. He's he's playing well. We gotta we gotta eat that a little bit. And the good news is we got this guy Riley Green in center now, so I don't think we have to worry about uh, seeing much more of Willie there for now. You know, I'll tell you, I got a feeling that Willie at the plate is going to nosedive here pretty soon. I mean, it's not a hot not take, but but, but 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 like. He he's the king right now of the, like the blue pit. It's okay, Merle. It's almost feeding time. Getting a little anxious. Uh, he's the king of he's the king of the blue pit. He's the king of, you know how, really really that worked, you know, and credit to him. That's the name of the game. But that 
that stuff doesn't necessarily translate over time, does it? No, and so let me get on like another another hot take. Like his on base percentage is sub three hundred. He's not been that productive offensively. His average exit velocity ranks toward the very yep. bottom of the league. Yep. His walk rate ranks toward the very bottom of the league. And one of the things I've heard is like, well, we need to play. We need to see him if we want him to be the utility guy on like next year's roster. Well, he's not bringing a lot of offense value. The metrics indicate it's going to get worse. And he's not really a utility guy because now he's turned into just a corner outfielder. And a guy who's just a corner outfielder needs to produce better offensively than, uh, than Willie is. So, again, I just, you know, either he's got to pick up the production, not just in the field, but now seriously at the plate. Um, or I think the Tigers could easily find a better option uh, at a minimal cost next year, um, you know, out on the market. 2021 Nico Gooderim or 2022 Willie Castro? Who you got? <laughs> uh, just off the top of my head, not looking at Nico's numbers last year, you know what, I'm going to take Willie because at least – at least he's not going to strike out every second of that. <laughs> but Nico, like Nico, although he wasn't as good as he thought he was at short, Nico could play other positions. And so I don't. I mean, I don't. I'm taking Willie. You know what? There, taking Willie. I mean, neither. It's not I, like that's you've like me, you've talked me <laughs> against myself. It's not like that's the 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 coin flip that's going to determine whether you make it to the league championship series or not. But. uh you know, in terms of where we've been and where we are now, and those are the kind of discussions that are to be had. So, with we'll move on with the Ken Rosenthal story last week, your concurrent reporting with it, and then Chris Illich's comments that we talked about. I don't say we, I talked about it. You, you know, had to refrain for journalistic reasons. It kind of got me thinking. Wait, are you bringing are you bringing up the contract no. again? There was another story about the contract. No, I, you, you said you reserved the right if the media the media <laughs> continue to bring it up. It was brought. I up. was going to, but I'm not going to give that in this specific instance. I don't want to give him any credence. So, I think that's a good good call. What I was going to say is, there's been a lot of talk of you know it's been seven years and you know blah blah blah, blah and that is accurate. So I kind of jotted down some things and that are that have happened under the Illich Avila regime and you know what's worth second guessing. And I'm not saying that I want to go through and second guess and and be like, "Oh, you should have done this, you should have done that." What I want to do, what I want us to do, Cody, is to kind of rank unofficially What's high on a second-guessing list and what's low? So I just jotted down a lot of stuff. Like, basically, is it fair to second-guess this hard or is it unfair to second-guess this hard or harshly or whatever, if that makes sense. So we'll do uh, we'll do one simple to start out with. The Tucker-Barnhart trade. You know, he's we, we talked about him a little bit. That was a move that was... Part of the picture in the offseason that was supposedly going to take this team over the top. We talked about stuff we like about him, but he's also nothing special. 
Is that high or low on the second guessing chart to trade for Tucker Barnhart? Oh, uh, super, super low. Um, because it's one year has not really had an impact on the broad scope of the rebuild. You acquire him on a one year deal, could resign him if you wanted to. If not, you move on, you find someone else. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that Tigers really still seem to have no uh, super clear idea what the long term plan is at catcher. But he also gave up nothing for him. He gave up Nick Quintana. It was a move that looked good at the time. Tucker hasn't quite performed, especially at the plate, to the degree you would want him to. But who else were you going to have play catcher, you know? Um, I think it's a fine move. Hasn't really worked out this year. But in terms of, like, the big picture, uh, that's one that comes at minimal cost to the overall framework of the organization. All right, well, let's go the other end of the spectrum, shall we? The J.D. Martinez trade. The J.D. Martinez trade. And for those that have forgotten, J.D. was traded. I'm pulling this up right now. He was traded. This was deadline right before deadline time of 2017 for Jose King, Sergio Alcantara, and Donwell Lugo. Or J.D. Martinez, who has done nothing but rip covers off baseballs since. Um, I mean, obviously that's terrible, right? Obviously you got to second guess it. And out of interest of fairness, Tigers front office will tell you there was just no trade market. Teams were no longer trading prospects for rentals at that point in time. I don't know what other sort of offers they had. I don't know if they had if other any other offers. I'm sure it was a difficult circumstance. But last week we talked about excuses. That does not change the fact that you got, what, three players in return and zero to show for a guy who went on to be uh, basically an MVP caliber player. Got a second guess that one. Not good. Yeah. And again, that's uh, I like that you, you mentioned that at the top here. It's not that we're second guessing. We're saying what's worthy of a second guess. Big distinction. Uh... I believe at the time there were he had just come back from injury. Teams weren't necessarily sure if he was fully healthy. I believe Al explained it at the time, saying like this was the best offer because teams were hesitant because he had just been hurt. It's off the top of my head. I could be wrong, but I do believe that was part of the process at the time. All right, here's a fun one, Cody. The Meadows Paredes trade. <laughs> Paredes, who I believe has 13 home runs, 13, 12, 13, 13 home runs, and Paredes has a bizarre list, the most bizarre list of injuries that you could have midway through a season, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Meadows, midway through a season, the most bizarre. Look, this one looks as bad as it could possibly look right now, Um, but I I mean, it's a little, it's, it's still early to second guess it, okay? Uh, Austin Meadows is a good player. He has a major league track record. It's been a horrible circumstance with all these weird injuries. The latest straining both of his Achilles tendons, probably a result of ramping up after having COVID. His body just hasn't been right all year. Suddenly, Isak Paredes is doing things he uh, never did in the in the Tiger system. It it was just enough to make you wonder, like, did the Rays know this all along? Is this the savvy Rays doing what they do? That thought was kind of always out there, but I liked the trade when it happened. 
it's just been an awful, awful look. But this is still early. The top, Meadows is going to be under team control through, I think, 2024. Um, we can't we can't second-guess this one to a big degree yet. And I, I'm writing about this in my Monday Notes column. Like, it sucks. It's kind of hilarious, given how things have gone for the Tigers. <laughs> but um, of all the moves they've made, like, I feel like it made a lot of sense at the time. And, you know, if Meadows continues to do nothing and Paredes finishes this year as a three-and-a-half or four-win player, then maybe we got to really start having the conversation, why did the Rays get this out of ESOC and the Tigers did not? But for now, it's a little premature. I agree. As of now, I'd do the trade again. I would as well. Because if you're going to – because that's the thing about the second guessing. We talk about fairness. Where What are you doing? If you don't make the trade, what are you doing with them? Yeah. Him being Esau. Yeah. What are you doing with him? Well, the way Jamer's played, he, he, maybe he'd be yeah. your third baseman. But at the time, you like were you're expecting just, Jamer to play well. Yeah. Yeah. You, you didn't think he was going to hit below 200. So, yeah, if, if we knew what Jamer was going to do, then you wouldn't make the trade. You would just put Esau at third right. and you know call it a day. But no one predicted that much of a... Uh, of a regression for for Jamer, but yeah, I would I would still do the trade. How about Jonathan Scope's extension? How is that high or low on the on the uh, the uh, on the second guess list? Because again, the thing about second guessing is I always try to remember, and I this no one on Twitter really does this because it doesn't really fit into 180 characters. It's like what was go- what were you thinking at the time? Right. Are you just criticizing because the move didn't go well, or are you criticizing? what went into the move and we'll get into that a little bit this was a universally accepted contract extension at the time as you said as we talked about earlier he is not playing well this year at least offensively but i put it medium because it hasn't worked out so far and it you know sure as hell is not going to opt out after this year hasn't worked out so far but at the same time I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna go hardcore on it because at the time everybody thought this was the right move, including myself. Yeah, I liked the move at the time, um, and I still go low on the like second guessing totem pole because it's another one that doesn't really hasn't really changed the course of events or changed how this rebuild might have gone. I guess you could argue you could have looked into signing a different second baseman other than Scope this past off season. But who were you really going to get that was better? Probably at a similar price range. Um, you didn't trade anyone for scope. You didn't spend an egregious amount on scope. He's not really blocking anyone um, in your system right now. I think we're going to see Ryan Kreidler up in the majors at some point. He's probably going to play a lot of third. Um, like, the, like the trades changed the course of the rebuild. The Lack of player development changed the course of the rebuild. Several decisions along the way. Signing Jordan Zimmerman. Signing, you know, you could maybe point now to Eduardo Rodriguez or even Javi Baez. Like, scope is that minimal impact um, to the long-term, big-picture events here. And so, although it looks brutal right now, although scope's lack of performance is a reason that this team is really bad, uh, it's not something we're really going to be thinking about in 2024 as a move that made any sort of difference to the complexion of that team. It's a very good point. Verlander trade. Perez, Rogers, Cameron. I mean, makes you wonder, again, you're trading with a savvy team. They gave you three guys who 
are probably all worse than what you were you thought you were getting at the time. Jury's still out a little bit on Jake. He showed some good things last year, but he's never really had a track record of hitting. Uh, Daz Cameron, I think not at all the player you hoped you were getting at the time. Franklin Perez, again, unfortunate. He's been injured. Tigers couldn't have really predicted that, but if you want another laugh, go look at Franklin Perez's like rehab start numbers in the uh, the like Gulf Coast League or Florida Coast League right now. It is abysmal. I think his ERA is like 14, and he's walking a million batters per inning. It's it's rough. Um, hard to see that one getting much better. At the end of the day, you traded Justin Verlander, who is still shoving and who is now a Cy Young <laughs> can, candidate at age like 40, a year removed from Tommy John surgery. Again, I know the circumstances were tough. You felt like you were rebuilding. You had to trade Verlander. It was a tough market. It was the uh, the waiver trade deadline. At the end of the day, what do you got to show for it? You know, No matter what the circumstances was, that deal has harmed your rebuild in a big way because you hoped you were getting three pieces and instead you got... Uh, you know, maybe a couple tires that can get you somewhere, but no actual motors. Man, that's a really good analogy. I wish I would have thought of something like that. Uh, another move, by the way, that universally thought of was a, of a good return at the time. This Just is true. For the record, for the record. I think that gets lost a lot of times for the record on that. A guy we haven't talked about a lot recently... Javier Baez signing. Javier Baez signing. Because his hitting has picked up. His defense is at times spectacular and at times mental lapsing, I guess is a good way to put it. I will say this. I do value, like, you know, we were talking about Eduardo Rodriguez earlier. Baez is a guy to me who, you know, he shows up every day. And he plays hard. And he has his flaws. But I'm... I'm not stung by his play in a negative way like a lot of people seem to be. Uh, That doesn't mean that, like, oh, it's so awesome when he can't lay off. When he had that near home run today, I was like, he's swinging and missing on this pitch. I would bet every single dollar. (laughs) That he's going to swing and miss, and sure enough. Uh, but he's earned my respect in a couple facets, having watched him day to day. And as we talked about previously, the shortstop market has not yielded, like, it has not lived up to the hype, generally speaking, from what the offseason, you know, all these you know, all these guys. Not that they're playing playing bad or anything like that, but it just hasn't been, like, groundbreaking for any of them, really. Uh, all have some flaws. So I, I put that lower tier. Yeah, I think medium. I think it's fair to second guess it because it hasn't worked out. Now, like so far, we got a long time to go. Javi's already turning a corner. He's going to have hot streaks. It's been largely what you signed up for. And a couple of weeks ago when Javi, he was getting booed and stuff, I actually went back to, I reread what I wrote at the time. Uh, I listened to some of the stuff we said on this pod at the time. And I think we played it pretty fair. And so, you know, the Tigers got a shortstop. They got Baez. That's pretty exciting. Same time, you know, it's not Correa. He's very volatile. And I also said at the time that if you weren't going to get Correa, I wish, uh, I thought Trevor Story was a better call. 
story hasn't been amazing. He's hitting 222. Uh, but he's got 12 home runs. All things considered, he has been better than Javi Baez. Um, and also, you got to look at the way the Korea thing panned out. It makes you wonder, what if the Tigers had waited until after the lockout? Could they have got Korea cheaper than they, they ever thought? We might get to relive that saga all over again this next offseason. Um, I don't know that it was the wrong move. I was never a huge proponent of giving Correa 10 years. I think that's too long for anyone. But the, I think it's fair to wonder, without any doubt. Um, could things be different? Could things have been done differently? And in fairness, as as uh, your colleague reported last week, the contract offered to Correa included you know the opt-outs and things like that that he would have been able to get his money regardless. So it wasn't like, it wasn't just like a straight, you know, whatever, you know, eight years, this much money, 10 years, this much money. Like it was, it was a creatively conceived offer. So in fairness to Korea and, you know, Baez got it too. Not really looking like he's going to be opting out after year two, but maybe who knows? It's right after year two, right? That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, Hiring AJ Hinch. Second guess, high or low? Um, I mean, probably the best, one of the best moves of the rebuild, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know who else Very you would rather have as list. your manager. I know some people aren't thrilled with how things have gone, and now some people wish AJ would like get mad more often. And you know, I do wonder why was that magic of last year not translated to this year? Last year was like, oh wow, the manager actually can make a difference, and now it's like, ah, oh, well, his roster sucks. Whatever, you know, there's nothing he can do about it. Uh, which is kind of the opposite of the, the approach we took last year, but like, you know, can't second guess it. Who would you rather have as your manager right now? I can't think of, can't think of a single name. Nobody, nobody. Yeah. I just have to put things on this list to not make it seem so like dreary. It's like here's something that went well. You AJ Hinch, you do that. Yeah, interest of fairness. Krasilich, Alavila, great move by going and getting AJ Hinch to Detroit. Great job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number one picks. So Mize and Torkelson, we know Mize has never really found his form, although there have been flashes. And then, of course, the Tommy John and other injuries since he's come into the Tigers organization. We've talked about that uh, at decent length, I would say. And another kind of, it's hard to come up with something new to talk about with this guy, Spencer Torkelson, although he did have a home run today. And as you put on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen, when it's right, baby, it's right. It's so right. <laughs> it's just a lot of grounding in double plays, Cody. But I I put this low. I don't second guess either one of them because at the, Mize was universally 1-1 considered, except for you know some, some voices that didn't have a lot of authority. And Torkelson went into the college baseball season as the expected number one overall pick. Then the season gets canceled because of COVID. You don't get a chance to really see anybody blossom. Uh, I still would take special Torkelson. I still think there's Mark Teixeira in there, but, but, but I, but that's just me. What he high, low medium on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd go low. Neither one of them have, been instant superstars. Looks like Riley Green is probably the best draft pick you made in this whole rebuild, but uh, there's no one that stands out from either of those classes that you would super rather have, or at least 
realistically would have drafted at the time. Mize and Torkelson were both the clear-cut choices, and it's not like Jared Kelnick's become a star yet. It's not like anyone else from Torkelson's draft classes um, really shooting through the ranks. So I put that low. Both these guys are still very young. Mize is hurt. Uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, plenty of, of chances for both of them to still have success in a Tigers uniform. All right, last one. The Rocket Mortgage advertisement over the Wailing Wall. Biggest mistake in the history <laughs> of mankind. One of the most egregious things to happen in the history of the city of Detroit, and there have been a lot of them. Uh, you're covering up public art with a freaking Rocket Mortgage ad, and you know this argument like, oh, it's a, it's well, it's art too. It's this like painting of weird smiley faces it's terrible no one likes it and i was thinking you know if, if you really want to sell an ad and if rocket really wants to advertise on the building i still don't like this because it'd be kind of like capitalizing public art but like just put a little rocket mortgage banner right above the whales so everyone likes to look at the whales they like to take pictures of the whales and you'd have your logo right there no one wants to take pictures of your freaking stupid smiley face portrait that's covering the whales terrible a disgrace <laughs> for the record this has nothing to do with illich or anything like that no, dan it's, gilbert uh, owns rocket mortgage yes 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 i just and the to tigers do we not actually... the tigers are not owners of that building either even yes. though it's like associated with comerica they have no control over it yeah still just ridiculous for the record yeah you're right i just want to make make it clear that we're not actually <laughs> criticizing them for for that uh 100 agree Maybe that's the reason why the team has stunk this year. Is that you know, the curse of Matthew Boyd got got Matthew Boyd as well. So maybe it really is the curse of the Wales. Matthew Boyd's like hurt again, never actually has completed his comeback. So maybe we, unless he cursed himself, I guess we got to rule that one out. <laughs> well, uh, man, there's a lot. There's actually more that we could get into, but that's uh, <laughs> don't want to. There's a lot of stuff that has not gone well. Obviously, we're not breaking any news here. There's when you're this deep into a regime, the rebuild hasn't been the entire Vila regime. But when you're this deep into a rebuild and a regime, and we're having the conversations that we're having, so on and so forth. But in actuality, like it's just not good. It's not good, and you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of ways to build a contender. There's been a lot of moves that we thought were good, and they haven't worked out. We'll see if anyone is held accountable for it in terms of not being employed by the Tigers anymore. Never going to wish for somebody to no longer be out of a job, but uh, at a certain point, maybe the organization needs a new direction. I don't know. They'll probably get an answer to that sometime in the fall or winter. So, Cody, anything you want to tease before we get out of here? Oh... Nothing, nothing super off the top of my head. Uh, working hard, working on a bunch of stuff, um, and keep you guys posted. We got both the draft and the trade deadline coming up, so mm-hmm. uh, believe it or not, there will be some interesting things to follow in Tigerland here in the month of July. Absolutely, and as I said earlier, the evergreen $1 a month subscription deal for the first six months or whatever it is on the Athletic still, still a thing, still very much worthwhile. And I hope you guys do Part of the New York Times bundle now. We even have a space on the New York Times homepage. We've made it. Or something like that. Big time. 
<laughs> big time, big time things for Cody and the Athletics. So hope you guys subscribe, read his work, and also a lot of his colleagues. Shout out to Max, his uh, his buddy and colleague covers the Red Wings. Big things happening in his life, and uh, I want everybody. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate everybody kind of sticking through us when the product on the field isn't the most entertaining thing on the planet a lot of times. And I want to wish everybody a happy and safe. Fourth of July, whatever you're doing. Maybe you're going to Comerica Park for one of those two games. That would be great. Hold on, Murrow. We're about to wrap up the podcast. Here's the so, best part of the pod. I heard one player say, I would rather fight in the Revolutionary War than play a doubleheader on the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the best way to end a podcast. So I'm not going to add anything to that. So... For Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great holiday, and thank you for listening.